Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Art Business Podcast. Hope you all had a great, relaxed and enjoyable festive season, saw a lot of art. Uh, my guest today is uh, an artist, um, Kojo Marfo, and uh, over the last um, couple of years, um, I've, I've been involved a little bit with him myself, and he's kindly agreed to come in today uh, to have some conversation with me about uh, what's been happening in his life and artistic life over the last couple of years. So Kojo, I always start with just a few conversational questions such as, what's your favorite city and and why might that be? (laughs) I think my favorite city is London. I mean, I love London. Um, I know know everything about London. Um, Well, I kind of know everything about London. I love traveling around the city. I... I enjoy sitting on London buses, the top deck by the window, and I enjoy the views of this wonderful city. So yeah, my favorite city would be London. That's interesting. And are, are there any particular buildings in it that you love to love to look at or go back to? I enjoy the architectures. I mean, but I really love the buildings around um, Whitehall, mm-hmm. and then also. Um, from um, Monument to Shoreditch, uh, those high high rise buildings around there. That's I, interesting. I so some kind of classic yeah. buildings down in Whitehall, very yeah. much in that kind of classical style, and then yeah. the more modernist works. Yeah, that you, yeah. yeah. that's good. And um, um, artists, we're, we're probably you probably refer to some artists later in the conversation. But if you had to pick like one artist. Who would you? Who at the moment would be something dead, you think dead about? or alive? Or uh, well, mate, let's start with a dead one and then a live one. <laughs> <laughs> um, for dead ones, I have few. I think I will go for Picasso, mm-hmm. and I'll go for um, Fernand Leger, Leger, or how they pronounce. It. And then um, there is this guy from Cuba, um, Wilfredo Lam. Interesting. These three yeah. guys. Uh, but what, why those artists in particular? Do they affect um, your own artistic style? They do. They do. I mean, they've had a massive influence in what I do and how I sort of um, create what I create. And um, I also like the fact that they created things that are totally different. All three artists are not similar. They all have something different and they all have a different stories to actually tell the world. So it's... They are three different artists, three different sort of styles, and um, it kind of suits me and it helps me to think as well. When they, I mean, somebody like Lam, finding out that he had a Chinese father, um, African mother, uh, born in um, Cuba, uh, without basically acknowledging his ancestry, all those things, and finally managed to kind of acknowledge his African ancestry and decided to sort of take ideas from the African ancestry and then use it to actually speak to the world. So it's, it's actually, um, he's an amazing artist. And uh, yeah, he's part of the best, the only three artists I will actually. And, and, and would you kind of identify with him in particular in terms of, um, uh, you know, being born in one nation and then being kind of quite nomadic? Uh, and, and maybe you could talk a little bit about your your own upbringing. Yeah, and... I mean, finding out that I mean his situation was totally different because he obviously fi- I mean decided to acknowledge or embrace his um, African ancestry after he met Picasso and Picasso started telling him about 
stuff that he bought from Africa and he brought from Africa and um, those things sort of like gave him a different perspective and a different understanding of his own um, 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 background mm-hmm. and then so he decided in a way to any other ordinary person listening to this program will be like but why does he need Picasso mm-hmm. to tell him about his own background yes. for him to embrace it but yeah. what I also figure out there are a lot of people out there too who maybe not by their own fault or anything like that but they they were raised in an environment where their um, ancestry is totally wiped out because they don't talk about it. They don't bring it up in any conversation. So for him to meet um, someone who is, I mean, Picasso, who was at those days like a very huge um, um, artist and uh, I'll call it a star. Did, did they meet in Paris? They met in Paris. Yeah. So you've got a Spanish artist. <laughs> yeah, meeting meeting a, in a, um, a Cuban artist. A Cuban yeah. artist in Paris. And so... So those kind of art world centers, cities have changed, haven't they? So it was Paris then, then maybe New York after World War Two. And yeah. would would you say London? London is London is pulling all the strings at yeah. the moment. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm gonna give credit to New York or um, Paris or Berlin or any of these places. I will say London at the moment for the past almost 15 years, London has become the hub of modern art. That's or, interesting. I mean, I'll call it art in general. Yes. And it has become a hope. And um, there are a lot of interesting artists. Every now and then, somebody, somebody will pop up and um, it's all about, wow, where was this guy? It's just like me, basically. It's like me putting myself in that same category. It's like, where was this guy? Why Why didn't I know this guy, <laughs> about this guy for a long time and stuff like that? But London House at the moment, I would say for the past 15 years, Mm-hmm. I mean, we have in London here, they have one of the, or England in general, I have to put it that way, rather than um, narrowing down to London, England in general, they have one of the best artists. I mean, they have um, Banksy. They have um, one of the best female artists. Um, uh, uh, me, oh, go ahead, name right now. Just escaped me. Um, she's, based in, she's based in Margate. Tracy Emin. Tracy Emin. <laughs> yeah. Tracy Emin. Yeah, they, they have um, this guy who is a very interesting artist, I always call him, um, Hess. Damien Hess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in England here, they have one of the best artists actually at the moment. Yeah. I mean, they may not be anybody's taste, but the reality is these guys are very big and um, influential artists in the world at the moment. I, I think that the YBAs, the young British artists, Damien Hurst and Tracy Ellen, you've mentioned there's two, you know, two leading ones. Uh, they, I mean, in my experience of being a Londoner all my life, you know, you rarely went to look at contemporary art in the 1970s and 80s, unless you were, say, an art student, had a specific interest in that. But people like me who had a general interest in, in culture, yeah. you know, we you were kind of put off the shows. It was all very intellectual and introverted, not easy to understand. Obviously, what the YBAs did was almost created a new kind of pop art. Yeah. Easy things to look at. Sharks and formaldehyde, you know, Tracy Emin's um, Neons and so on. And, and then the opening of Tate Modern in 2000. And that Tony Blair at the time, you know, a lot of younger people were very inspired by 
what they hoped would be a proper socialist government. Yeah. And he had the Cool Britannia movement. And the whole thing in London changed. So suddenly, going to contemporary art became really, really buzzy. It, it became a big deal. I mean, everyone, all of a sudden, I mean, it's not a sudden issue. It's like, from nowhere, everyone became an artist. From nowhere, everyone was sort of like energized to um, become an artist. And um, it created a very good um, atmosphere. It also helped a lot of young people who were not academically good. Yeah. Those who couldn't pursue law or um, um, medicine or any of these um, fields that demands a very sort of different um, yeah. understanding of education. Um, most of them turned into um, art because it, I mean anything that is I would say anything that is based on expressing expressing one individual one individual sort of um, understanding of things is also a very good thing and um, since then things have actually become a very interesting in London here anywhere you go any gallery you go you find out there is one or two or three UK based artists in the gallery so yes. Yeah. It helps. I mean, personally, I would say it's a very good. I mean, England as London in general has become the hub of yeah. um, art, and it has actually um, helped a lot of people too. Yeah. Because there are so many people out there who wants to express themselves in a different mediums, like art or music or any of these things. Mm-hmm. But there was a time. I mean, maybe your time they couldn't do that because they, they were limited. Absolutely, and, 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 and all universities, academic ones you were referring to, like someone like myself, mm-hmm. if you like, who would be a useless artist because it's just not in my brain to sit there and be able to create music or art, although I love both and I sing in a choir and mm-hmm. so on, you know. Um, but but I think the, the opportunities for education, you know, many more universities, many more art colleges open. London's got a number of very important art colleges. It, it has, it, I mean... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm always one of those guys who <laughs> to, like kind of complain that art shouldn't be intellectualized yeah. and um, art should be based on one's um, um, how you feel and um, mm. how you want to express yourself, either music or painting or sculpting or any of these mm. things. And I still stand by that um, because I just feel like the moment you intellectualize it, you remove a lot of people. You kind of like move them out. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a time that you walk into art gallery and the stories they pull out there or whatever the artist is trying to explain doesn't mean anything to the ordinary person. That's what I said was my experience in the 80s, you know. I remember even going to, like, to Kooning at the Serpentine and not really getting it, you know. It was it seemed very... And the other people there, the whole atmosphere was academic mm. And, and, mm. and not inclusive. And it wasn't. Um, and even now, my... My take on this thing is, um, I always say uh, my, my understanding of whatever I am doing is basically to get crash everything <laughs> and um, open it up for everyone to actually look at it and see themselves. If I mean, then obviously they could also um, be part of it and they mm. could also um, express themselves, not just by painting or sculpting or music, but you could express yourself by doing anything that you feel like you want to do. So far, it's not a crime. Yeah. You just have to do it. And um, I just feel like... In terms of like the art colleges that we spoke about, I mean, Damien Hurst Hurst and the YBAs, they they all happened to be at Goldsmiths College of Art in the late 80s. And so there was a whole group of them there. They're being very creative. But um, I know that you have had 
you've said a couple of times, I think at least you've been to art college and, and you in the end you've kind of like dropped out of that, I think, because it hasn't suited you. My question to you, Kojo, because I know your work yeah. very, very well, obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, did the catalogue introduction for your show at JD Mallet that we'll come back to. But one of the things that strikes me is you're technically really, really good. Do you think you were you taught those techniques or did you learn them yourself? I did learn them myself. Um it got to a point that I just felt like um, I do not want to take anybody's influence. I've had the influence already, yeah. <clears throat> but I do not want anyone to technically direct me because the moment they do that, um, I become just like everyone else. Yeah. So um, I decided that um, I will actually pursue art by my own means yeah. and um, create things the way I like it. Yeah. I mean, most often I do say to people that my intention is not to create a beautiful art. Mm. My intention, I don't have any intention of creating a beautiful art at all. What I do is to create something that will actually um, um, bring attention. I mean, something that will make somebody stand there and look at it and start thinking like... Definitely. And the very striking thing about your work, which I think tunes in with what we've been talking about with people like Emin and Hearst, one of the things that they do is create very bold, often highly coloured images that you look, you know, you stop and look at them. And at the moment, I'll say this to the, the people listening to the podcast, if you're in London, go down to Oxford Circuit, find flannels, the, 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 the store, and uh, go there after dark and have a look because Kojo's images, his many of the portraits, the kinds that uh, he showed in his exhibition uh, last summer, they're, they're, they're staring out of you. And, and it's really, really eye-catching. And when I went down there for the first time yesterday, I was taking some pictures for my Instagram posts. And there were lots of other young people. Not, I'm not young, but there were young people standing on the side of the road photographing these images. They were really taken in by them. And I, I think the most important thing to start with about your art, Kojo, and I think that's what makes a lot of artists today more successful, if you like, is, is that you'd stop and look at them. They're very, very striking. Yeah. And maybe we could talk a little bit about your portraits, because all of them are kind of like frontal, and they're staring out at the viewer, and they're engaging with the viewer. Um, but maybe you could say something about, Let's. we could perhaps talk about where those portraits came from in terms of your upbringing and your different cultural I try to create things. I mean, I always I have this individualistic um, mentality, like everything I do, I just want to create something that is not connected with anyone. I mean, like I said earlier, I've had my influences. I've had these guys who influenced me for me to pick up uh, the paintbrush. And those influences came from looking in galleries and museums? Yeah, looking at these, those images in galleries and museums and picking up magazines and yeah. um, seeing these images. There are a lot of, I mean, like talking about Picasso and these guys. What I saw, there were a lot of images, but their images stood up. Their images were like that one of those stand-up images that mm -hmm. you see it and you just like, wow, mm -hmm. why did you do that? Yeah. So for me personally, those things influenced me, but then I had to also go start thinking, how can I also create something that will also be part of these classic um, images? Mm -hmm. So initially I was sort of painting different, different painting portraits of people and stuff like that. But then I realized I'm also doing exactly what everyone else is yeah. doing. So then I had to change. <laughs> so when I decided I had to change and create something that will also help me to talk about things I want to talk about, 
I started kind of researching, going deep into my own culture to actually find out what I could find from that background and use it mm-hmm. to also tell my story. Mm-hmm. So I decided to, um, whilst I was doing all this sort of searching for images, I stumbled across an image. Um, it was a, a fertility doll that I stumbled across. So I found that image and I was like, wow. Is that from Africa? Yeah, from Ghana. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I stumbled across it, uh, this fertility doll, I was sort of like looking at it. It was simple, just a simple round head with a thingy hanging on it. So I was like, okay, this is a very simple sort of thing, which I actually, growing up, I saw it. It was given to uh, women when they reach um, childbearing age to help them um, conceive and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. And that's, ha- that's part of the local religion. Yeah, um, uh, culture. And, um, yeah. yeah. So it was, it, was, it, it was something that I saw, and then I just felt like, okay, this is something I grew up <laughs> playing around with. It. Mm-hmm. So why can't I recreate in my own understanding and use them to communicate mm-hmm. um, about issues? That, that's why the images are so frontal, but they're yeah. partly because of that, of that experience of looking yeah. at that, yeah. that archaic doll, as it were. You know? So initially... I, the idea was those strangers were to use them to actually tell a story about people that I met. Because um, I always say that if I start painting people, I paint a white person, the black person who asks me, why, did you, why didn't you paint this? Why did you? So <laughs> rather than creating division or trying to kind of pull all representation in, I will actually use these images to create representation of everyone. Mm-hmm. So then it doesn't look like black or it doesn't look like white or any other color or Asian or anything like that. So it's just... It's universal. It's just universal. It doesn't look like man or woman or anything that will sort of start any um, unnecessary um, conversation. So mm. I decided that whilst I want to talk about people that I have met, the good, the bad, and the ones that I didn't actually get my head around them, I would rather use those images to actually bring these people, like, bring them to life in a way. They are not life, but I like, talk about them, but in not in a negative way, but in a positive way, mm-hmm. so that everyone also could relate to Yeah, the and things I, I think because the images are are so universal and they're not individualized portraits in any way. It means that us viewers can kind of, you can find yourself projecting yourself into those people and they yeah, project themselves. Yeah, you could be part of the strangers. Yeah. Anyone, everyone is a stranger. We are all strangers. We meet, we meet each other on the street. We walk past each other on the street. But the truth of the matter is our parents were all strangers at one point. So I just feel like <laughs> we, we're all strangers. And um, the only way to actually highlight the humanity um, within all these um, stranger communities is to actually put them more genderless and then let them all look like they don't represent any, any race or anything, just yeah. like any... Anything. It's just like a tree that you sure. walk past. It doesn't have any one representation. It doesn't have any sort of connection to one human race or anything like that. It's just there. So I decided that the, the, the strangers will be good so that the stories behind it will actually help um, people to basically sit back and think. Yeah, and, 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 and there are other layers in those portraits, like the, the clothing and the jewellery they wear and the yeah. architectural settings. As you know, they kind of immediately reminded me of like Renaissance yeah. and Baroque 
arts with their ruffs that look like Tudor ruffs on Elizabethan portraits and those lovely black and white checkered floors, again, looking like Renaissance interiors. Um, were you kind of aware of that when you were yeah. creating those images? Yeah, those things are part of my observations and um, 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 experiences. So basically, I brought these things to my work based on my observations and experiences. Again, going in the National Gallery and seeing yeah. these wonderful yeah. portraits yeah. So, by Rembrandt and Rubens and Van Dyck. Correct. Yeah. So um, those things are things. I mean, I've lived in England for a long time, so um, mm-hmm. I just feel like these things are things that I've seen. I mean, you go to any gallery, mm-hmm. um, apart from Tate Modern, <laughs> any of these galleries in England here, you will always find a very traditional painting out there, and um, it, it had a very. I mean, I love them. I mean, I always used to stand there and look at them and question myself and ask questions like how did these guys do it what made them do what they did and what's fantastic about that Kojo is that you're not being taught that in an academy Mm. you're going to the galleries and you're just sitting you're sitting or standing in front of these images and and looking at them for a long Mm. time I tell my students that they must learn to do that they've been taught to be too intellectual and too theoretical go and give the artist a chance there's a conversation between you and the artist it should last at least 20 minutes because we listen to a Mozart symphony for 30 minutes why can't we look at a Kojo painting for 20 minutes? It's taken him a long time to paint. It's, it's, it's really good to actually go to the uh, museums and galleries. And um, Basically, what I do is I don't just look at the photo. I look at those little details and ask myself, why did they do that? And um, even though I may not get any answers from anywhere, I start processing it like, maybe this, maybe they do because of that, maybe that. And all this neck um, rush, um, yeah. I used to watch it and I was they must be very difficult to put it on. It must be. But then anytime I take a photo and I stand back, I just like the whole thing hanging over there. It's beautiful. So I just thought, yeah. whilst I talk about culture and I want to incorporate every culture and every background into whatever I do, why can't I also incorporate this mm. as a representation of the European art that I have seen so many mm. times? Mm. So that was the main reason why I incorporated it. Because I knew straight away if I incorporate that, anyone who sees it will see where the idea came from. And so I just thought, right. So then, then if I want to talk about representation, then this is the best thing to do for um, representation, to put that thing on. And then anyone who sees it will know the background of where the thing comes from. And then then they will look deep and ask me, how, why did you do this? And then that will also lead to another conversation, another background. So yeah. there's always um, me trying to bring different, different backgrounds. I think one of the things one of the things that's amazing in the in the images is that that those things don't look strange. They don't look particularly strange because they those you know um, African cultures were using similar kind of jewelry, like yep. very very large necklaces. Yep. Yep. All the listeners will, yep. will, will 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 have seen those, and and the ruff is actually a very very similar idea. It's a status symbol to a certain extent. There may be some. You know, it's a beautifully made lace thing. Yeah. And as I understand it, the bigger they were, like if you think of Queen Elizabeth, she has that richer. massive one, <laughs> the richer and more powerful they are. And I, I think I think in like African, um, you know, first people's culture, that, that was also similar. They were status symbols and made of other beautiful and expensive materials. It is, because um, I, whilst I was researching all these things, trying to get my head around what everyone, why people do what they do, mm. And then I also stumbled across um, in Southern Africa. Um, they put a lot of jewelry, like beads, yeah, 
a lot of beads around their neck. Yeah. And um, I saw that and I was like, okay, this is it. <laughs> I like that. And then I went, I sort of decided to check the culture in East Africa. And again, I saw they put a massive plate, metal plate. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, that one ticked. Yeah, so, and I think I suggested that that also reminded me of like ancient Celtic culture. Yeah, they wear yeah. the priests in yeah, particular. Yeah, the yeah, they do that too. They wear this bronze lunar, they called it a lunar low, which yeah, means a little do. moon. Yeah, they do that too. Yeah. And then I looked, I went deep into Mongolia and um, Asia. Yeah. And then also I found a lot of things. So I just thought, I mean, what I said to myself is, if I'm going to create art that will be a representation of every human being, yeah. then why can't I just take a little bit of uh, um, uh, symbols from all these places yeah. and um, yeah. um, um, incorporate them in my work? Because the reality is art shouldn't be centered on one particular area. It mm. shouldn't be for one particular group. And I think artists in general should have the power to actually put, bring people together. Mm. And um, I feel like if I'm going to be painting and I've made a conscious decision not to paint people, mm. so if I'm not going to be painting people for one simple reason, because if I decide to paint people, I have to paint every human being on earth for just so that nobody feel like they've been left out. <laughs> so if I cannot do that, then I have to use these images and then take symbols from every sort of culture, mm. a little symbol from every culture and put all of them together and then put it out there for everyone to relate to. Yeah. And I, uh, to be honest, I think that's what makes your work so original and so striking and so unique and yet so simple. I mean, I can't think of any other artist that has used such a gathering of symbols from different cultures across different times. And I think that's why everybody, and London is the perfect place to display it. It is. It is a perfect place because uh, it's a city where any if you walk out from this building, you meet somebody from a different part of the world. Absolutely. And um, I just feel like living in this great melting pot, um, I have friends from different backgrounds and I've, I've met acquaintances from different backgrounds. Mm. And um, I just feel like um, it's a place, the biggest university one could actually have, like go to, mm. is to live in a city like this. Mm. And um, if you're a very open-minded person, you could learn a lot from everyone you meet mm. um, because everyone have a different story. Everyone mm. come from a different place with different um, attitude and everything. So yeah. if you learn to live in this, I call it the <laughs> great melting pot, you will be able to actually live in anywhere in the world and not feel Yeah, there's been, there's been a lot of debate since the start of pandemic with lockdowns. You've probably read about people leaving the city of London for the countryside. They're all coming back again. And yeah, because then I thought I was kind of often tempted, but I love going out to the countryside, mm. but only for a week. Mm. I don't. Mm. If I'd lived there, I'd go crazy because mm. there's so much stimulus when you get back yeah, into London. Yeah, they're all coming back because they'll find out that it's not... I mean, once you live in London, there's one Australian academic who said, um, if you fall out with London, something about if you... Um, if you're fed up with London or something like that, you're fed up with London. Well, there's Dr. Johnson, of course, yeah, the, uh, the 18th century, a yeah, man yeah. who is tired of London, London. so it's tired yeah, of life. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's still true. That was, that was because, three, um, two to three hundred years ago. Once you live in this city, you get used to it. If you don't get used to it and you leave, mm. then that's fine. You never go used to it. Yeah. But once you get sucked into this city, no matter where you come from, mm. once you get sucked into it, you become part of it. So yeah. it becomes part of you. Yeah. So you can leave. You could prepare prepare your mind and just pack your bag and yeah. whatever and leave. Yeah. But once you leave, you will still be thinking, 
must be something happening in London today. Probably <laughs> Mason. But also, of course, in the metropolis, there's far more temptations. There's drugs. There's you know, it'd be very easy to be quite lazy. And Kojo, one of the things I've noticed about you is you work really hard on your paintings. How is that? Has that become almost like a, a an addiction to to paint? Yeah. Or, or or what 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 drives you when you get up in the morning to to pick up the I, I, always, I, I always say that any man or woman who wakes up in the morning and pick up a paint or uh, paint a, um, um, and a brush is quite dangerous because no normal <laughs> human being will wake up in the morning and first thing they do is grab a paint and, and a brush. It's not normal. <laughs> but um, the way I work is different because what I do is I... Sometimes I work midnight, sometimes I work in the daytime. It all depends on ideas I have in my mind. And um, sometimes I could wake up and I'll be like, okay, I have this idea going on in my dreams. Let me go and actually tackle it immediately before um, I lose the, uh, what do you call it? The idea. Yeah. It's almost like having a dream and wanting yeah. to record it quickly yeah. and you forget it yeah. otherwise. Yeah. yeah. So um, the way I work is totally different from the conventional way where artists have, especially those who paint portraits of people, they could do it any time they like because mm. it's a photo of somebody. You copy in what yeah. is in front of you. Yeah. You don't really have to um, do it's anything. It's fairly straightforward, yeah, it's whereas straightforward. your practice It's is... imagination. Yeah. What I do is based on imagination. So yeah. um, there are times I'll have a very cool idea in my head. Mm. And there are times where I could imagine something. I mean, sometimes I could take a photo of even um, shadows. I'll be walking and I'll see some shadows popping out and I'll be like, I like the, the shape of the shadow. And then I'll take a photo of the shadow and then use, use it to recreate something to comment on society. So, so when, you, when you, like this morning, I went to the Algerian coffee stores, which is a place I love in Soho where I buy my coffee and tea. And I, walk, I love walking through Soho. Mm-hmm. And, and I, there's so much going on. There's people, different kinds of people to look at. Uh, you see quite a lot of poverty as well, yeah. quite a lot of homeless people, yeah. you know, drug users, obviously. But it's such a vibrant place. But I'm wondering, what what eyes is Kojo seeing that world through? When you walk through there, I, I tend to say as an artist, but that's such a cliche, but how do you see the world when you walk through London? I And it's really funny, and you, you actually, you kind of nailed it perfectly well when you walk down places like that, um, and which I do hang around there most often. But what I see is... Um, <laughs> You, you said about seeing some shadows and thinking that's yeah, a good idea. I, Is that the see, way you're looking at I see, I see that, and then I also see human beings. Mm. I see human beings in a very different sort of... Under. I see human beings who are obviously have problems. Yeah. And then I see human beings who don't have problems. Mm. Or oh, you think they don't. <laughs> well, the appearance tells me they don't. Yeah. And some some appearance also tells me they do. Yeah. So, um, But what I also get from these people is an idea of how we should live mm. not how I think we should live not how humanity should live because everybody have their own concept of living mm. but it, gave, it gives me an idea of how humanity well I think I think humanity should live mm. and um, also those faces gives me an, an, an understanding of how a person could be properly beat down mm. and that by being feeling properly beaten it, it sort of reflect on their even um, on their face, and these faces helps me to go home and sit down, and reflect, mm-hmm. reflect on um, my place in this world and what I think everyone needs to look at and needs to do to actually help um, 
yeah. you know, create a wonderful world for everyone. But there's also something that I do enjoy when I go to these places, the fact that those people, the drug addicts, those with the mental health issues, those who are just there to peddle drugs, and those who are just there to work, all these three, four, five people have something in common, mm-hmm. which is humanity. They all and, and, and I don't know if you noticed that, but like outside Bar Italia and the little cafe on the other side of the road, I think it's a, a Cafe Nero, there are tables outside and there's a lot of these homeless people begging for money. And it, it always amazes me and I, it makes me smile and feel very warm because people are very kind. You know, I think if someone comes up when I'm reading a novel, I'm drinking my coffee, Uh, outside one of those cafes and if a homeless person comes up and wants money probably for drugs I I probably I probably get quite angry but I see people being very humane and kind to these people I do giving them cigarettes and saying go and spend this on some food I do give money I mean it may sound a bit wrong for your listeners but I do I do give money yeah because I know that that five pounds or ten pounds I give to this guy he won't be able to buy a house for me he's not gonna buy a car he's not he's not gonna it won't change his life. But then the truth of the matter is these people, um, I mean, this is a very wealthy country. There is good medical sort of centers, mm-hmm. hospitals mm-hmm. around this country. There are so many facilities that these people could mm-hmm. um, assess to actually... If they want to. If they want to. If, yeah. they, if they really yeah. want to seek help. They, so I've kind of moved away from the fact that they're going to be this or I'm helping them to... Um, um, the addiction or anything. I've moved away from that because my little money will not change their life. And the truth is, if they really want to seek help, the guy who's sleeping outside, if he really feel cold and he wants to sleep somewhere warm, mm. he knows there are places that he can access. Oh, yeah. And so he is happy in this in his little world. <laughs> I may sound like somebody who is glamorizing all no, these lifestyles, yeah, yeah. I but I feel like the person is happy in his world. All they need is give him that money mm. if you can afford it. Mm. Let them go and do whatever. Because yeah. a lot of us who seems normal, we do a lot of crazy yeah, things we, at home. We would also spend money on, on too much booze. On or, certain yeah, things, things that we don't need. society doesn't actually yeah. see. Yeah. We, we don't <laughs> expose it to the world, but they decide to expose their habits yes. to the world and sleep rough. Yeah. They are happy over there. They don't pay no bills. They have no responsibilities. They don't mm. have to deal with heating yeah. or electricity. They are actually happy people. Yeah. Um, during the lockdown, I decided to go down Tonanko Road. I had some few alcohol in my pocket, mm. in my bag. And then I thought, let me go and have a chat with them because I wanted to see, hear something. And then, um, I realized that most, almost all of them have mental health issues. Yeah. All of them mm. are happy where they are. Yeah. Um, they don't want to go and stay yeah. in yeah. the house yeah. because of restrictions. It, in your paintings, coming just thinking about that, your paintings are of what are, what are apparently, particularly the group paintings, they look like stable, almost like family units, like kinship units. Is that a lot to do with the kind of African culture? Because when I think of this country, one of the things that we do see in this country um, by the way, a lot of child poverty, of course, which is sort of often not recognised. Uh, you know, Marcus Rashford, the yeah, yeah. United football players, he's brought that to our attention big time in the last couple of years. Um, but um, uh, I think the family unit in many ways has broken down uh, in this country. Is that happening in places like Ghana? Because your painting suggests that, and I'm not saying you know they are universal, but you seem to have this big thing about a family unit, a group yeah. of people who have their babies in their arms and their pets, 
and they look very solid as a group. I was raised by a single parent, and it's not something I'm going to hide. Sure. I was raised by a single mother. Um, we were we were four, and we're now three. Um, it was like that. So anything I project is basically a projection of my own upbringing. Sure. And um, I come from a very, what they call over here, um, extended family. Yeah. We live in one house. Aunties in this, um, <laughs> everyone is like, the whole house that, is... That used to be very common in the UK. Um, I think apart from the royal family... It's got less common that grandparents are living in the same house as the children. I think apart from the royal family, no... Family in the UK practice that sort of. Um, everyone lives yeah. somewhere, so the children's welfare and everything is being taken over by social 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 service. Yeah. Because they are the only people who can go into the house and look deep yeah. into how people live. Where back in the days, grandma could take the child. Yeah. From you, the mother, and then you can go and you can go and work and, and it, your life out. Yes, so exactly. you don't need the man yep. to support you. The grandma yep. is already taking that. Yep. The man could get out from your life, and then <laughs> you are actually happy to do your life. Um, but that's how my culture is like. Yeah, my culture is basically where if the relationship breaks out, breaks down. The woman, the man doesn't have access to the children. That's interesting. The man loses access, so the children becomes. The woman's family. In Very our, matriarchal in yeah, honor, I believe. In my yeah. family, we believe that the blood of the child belongs to the mother. To the mother. So, yeah. um, Which the kind of traditional Western tradition, going back to ancient Greece, it's mm-hmm. definitely that the blood comes from the father. That mm-hmm. the mother the mother is just a transit mm-hmm. for, to mm-hmm. hold the baby. I that's see. there in like classical Greek literature. I and that's see. kind of what I guess... Western culture basis of yeah, yeah, based on very patriarchal. Patriarchy, yeah. Mm. And now it's just more sort of like the mother, yeah. the woman called the shots, as yeah. they say. And you can see, see that in your paintings as well. The women are very powerful people in those paintings. Yeah. So like one of my paintings that I titled it um, Dowager. So basically the reason why I titled it Dowager wasn't like Dowager, like the meaning Dowager, yeah. but it was more like um, the, my culture if you marry a woman, the, I mean, you have to give her everything. So and the women are the richest. Yeah. So they are the the rich. Um, in that relationship, they are the rich. Yes. So yes. rather than um, going to marry a rich man and then the man leaves you this. So I gave the dowager away, but it wasn't like the dowager, like the word dowager, but it was more like she doesn't need a man. She doesn't need anyone. To because be. she's got her own property Correct. and her own wealth. Correct. The, the, the dowager. Yeah, so, Whereas in this country, a dowager will often be an aristocratic woman who who is waiting for the son, yeah. the male, to get old enough to become the new duke. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah. you get the dowager who is kind of yeah. ruling the family, yeah. but only until the boy comes yeah. of age. Yeah, so it's a totally different. Um, yeah. But I use the word dowager to kind of call. It's a it's a play. With, I was trying to play with words and with um, dowry. Yeah. And I, I sort of like, because for us to marry a woman back in those days, you have to give her everything. Give her yeah. a house, give her all that before you marry her. So yeah. when you, when the relationship breaks out, breaks down, you lose, you lose everything. The because man you, loses. Yeah, the that, man loses yeah. everything. Yeah. The woman keeps everything. Yes. There's yes. no, you're not going back. Because you know you've been giving it to the woman, you're giving it to the woman's family. Yeah. So they are, they've already occupied it. It's yes. Done. Yes. You don't, you don't, you don't have anything. You're not getting anything back. Yeah. And also you don't get access to the children. Yeah. The children goes to the pair, uh, the grandparents. Yes. So you totally cut out. Yeah. You don't have any, yeah. any connection. Um, just thinking now about the last couple of years in your life, Kojo, because I think the pandemic, the start of the pandemic for many people was a really negative start. But for a lot of people that I read, 
interviews with and, and quite a lot of artists, they seem to have they seem to have thrived on the pandemic. So can we go back to that moment when um, you, you you decided to put in for the competition run by JD Mallet Gallery? Yeah. And they, um, JD and uh, Victoria were, were, were my guests on this yeah. podcast a few weeks ago, and they were talking about running the gallery. Uh, we mentioned you, of course, yeah. uh, but but can, can uh, they? Just to remind our listeners, in in 2020, uh, Jan David Mallet and Victoria Abakaya, who, who run JD Mallet Gallery in Mayfair, they decided at the start of the pandemic to put on an, an open competition for artists who were living in the UK. They could they they didn't have to be British uh, to put in. It was an open competition to put in images, um, send images, and and, and a, a team of judges of which I was one. There were people like Simon Dupuri, Gavin Turk, the artist. Uh, it was a really wonderful group, a very interesting. Um, experience to be with those amazing judges, and we 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 were talking about Kojo's work. Kojo was relatively unknown, I think it's fair to yep. say that. Yeah, and it was called Isolation Mastered, and Kojo's paintings became part of an exhibition of I think twenty five artists yep. that people could come into at the end of lockdown mm-hmm. in the summer of two twenty. Do you want to talk a little bit more about it that was, experience? <laughs> it was a very I mean, I always call myself underground um, legend. <laughs> I want to be, and I hate actually popping my head up. I will yeah, always yeah. be. Yeah. And um, it was it was an experience. Um, my then girlfriend saw the adverts on. Um, saw an advertisement for the competition. Yeah, and then she she <laughs> asked me if I want to do it, and I was. And you like, said no. <laughs> um, because um. <laughs> I had my little thingy against galleries, and yeah. I'm gonna express it here. Yeah. Because they put um, these adverts out there. Yeah. Initially, you see just an advert to yeah. artist calling, and then you go deeper, and then you find out they charging money. Yeah. For that is, I mean, I hate to say this, but most often it becomes a, a, a scam. Yeah. Like they so say, lots of people are paying their twenty pounds. Yeah. There's thousands, thousands of them, and then that and gallery then makes 20. money. Yes, yes. Gallery makes money, and they will probably select somebody that they already know. Yeah. So um, when she showed me, I was like, no, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. yeah. The language wasn't actually nice for me to actually yeah. <laughs> say, you know, here. And I was like, no, 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 let them go, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then she was like, I was like, they, they, gonna, they want my 20, 25 pounds, they could blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then she was like, no, 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 it's free. And I was like, still, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm not taking part in this sort of X Factor business mm-hmm. where <laughs> artists are being paraded like some kind of jokes. But then she did it. <laughs> Without you knowing. Yeah, she did it. And um, it's really funny because I gave, um, she took some art, pictures of her artwork that I wasn't actually interested in. Mm-hmm. But it was very strange because mm-hmm. those artworks um, turned out to be very... Um, the ones kind of, that everyone likes. Yeah. So it one. just shows you another person like your then girlfriend can see things not that you don't necessarily see. Yeah, I mean, I, I was being grumpy sitting at home, <laughs> um, um, not really... Negative. Um, yeah, not paying attention to anything, and I was just sitting down. I was gonna do an advertisement, um, video advertisement for money um, remittance company, mm-hmm. which they promised me money. And then the whole lockdown came, and I couldn't get and the money. That didn't so that I was that went deep yeah. into my head, and then um, 
I had um, one of these London galleries wanted me to do a group show mm-hmm. and um, they didn't go through. So I was actually sitting at home relying on my online um, art sales mm-hmm. to make money. Selling online, yeah, yeah, which a lot of artists were doing also during yeah. COVID and then more of us were looking at yeah. online and so yeah. they were doing very well from that. Yeah, it was actually going well. So mm-hmm. the whole... Um, um, isolation master. The whole yeah. isolation master thing was, it was actually amazing. And um, um, what what happened? Did they phone you? So um, one of the ladies in the gallery called Annie. Mm-hmm. Um, called me to say, yeah. uh, oh hi, blah blah blah. <laughs> you, um, I know Annie. Yeah, um, you've been um, selected to take part in the isolation mm-hmm. master. And I was like, huh? <laughs> but and then I look at my girlfriend's face. Initially, I was about to go like. How do you know? <laughs> Who are you? But then I just thought, no, let me be very careful. So mm-hmm. I look at it. Yeah. And then I go, oh, yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. What do you want? That sort of, yeah. she, when she gave me the thumbs up, like, yeah. And then I was like, okay. This is your girlfriend. In the yeah, yeah, she was giving me the thumbs up. Thumbs up, like, said, go for it. Yeah, it goes like, it's them, it's them. Just yeah. Yeah. Don't, ch- don't say anything. Yeah. Don't say it wasn't you. And yeah. uh, don't give them any... So I was like, oh, oh, okay, oh, thank you, oh, yeah. oh, wow. I, I sort of like that's how I responded to Annie <laughs> on the phone. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh. Wow. But I was, it wasn't like, I was, it wasn't like I was happy, happy. But yeah. it was more like, what's Surprise. going on here? Yeah. Well, I need to be very, I need to show some kind of sign of excitement, and then after that, I'll find out what went on. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, so can you tell us when you could we could collect the artwork? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's here. Um, do you want me to frame it? What do you want me to do? So after that, I asked my girlfriend, like, what's this? <laughs> she was like, that's the thing I did. Um, I was like, oh. They said, and she was like, congratulations. I, was like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> and then, so basically the whole thing was... Came out of nothing. Really. Out of nothing. Yeah. I was actually sitting at home being yeah. grumpy and um, thinking, because the truth is, I don't have a nine-to-five job. Yeah. So when this whole lockdown thing came, Initially, I thought it was another holiday for people who work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought, yeah, there we go. They're going to get a long holiday doing yeah. um. But then I, I found out that it affects everyone. It's yeah. like everyone stay at home. Yeah. That's where sort of reality sort of sets in. It kicked in that. Yeah. Oh, so it's not just people who do nine to five. Yeah. It's all of us. And so how many paintings did they collect from you? I gave them two paintings. Mm. Um they came and collected them, couriered. Yeah. <laughs> I gave them two paintings. I was actually, I didn't actually, I didn't get that much excite, excited until I saw the gallery. Mm. Because I know where the gallery is. I know yeah. Mayfair area, yeah. but I've never, I didn't You haven't ever seen Jean David Mellon? Yeah, so until I saw the gallery and mm. I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> this is in a posh place near <laughs> carriages. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when I was like, oh, okay, all right. Oh, okay, now I don't really, okay. Yeah. So I kind of like gave up the resistance of not yeah. working with the gallery. And then you were shortlisted. Did they call you and say you've been shortlisted? Yeah, they did. Yeah. They did. And it, everything just sort of like from yeah. there, everything just went yes. really up. And I mean, and I, actually, I can tell you that 
A, as you say, Jan Devi didn't charge anyone to enter, and B, the judges we were we weren't looking at people we knew. Yeah, independent. That's I what mean, was wonderful. I, about. It came to my attention that all the yeah. judges sort of like did everything based on independent. Yeah, we, we we weren't looking for any. There was no discussion of oh, I know this. Or, you know, there were no declarations of conflicts of interest. Yeah. We were looking at artists. We didn't. I didn't know any of the judges, yeah. so I personally everything just happened to me in a way like. Yeah. Who am I? Who yeah. are you? Why did they select me? I mean, yeah. they don't know me. I only sell online in America. Yeah. I don't. I don't do anything in the UK here. And, um, and then in the show, your paintings. I think that some of Jan David's collectors became interested in them, and he decided there's a lot of interest in this guy. Let's put a solo show on, which was summer of, a year later, yeah. summer of July. Yeah. 22, and the, the, the title of the show was Dreaming of Identity yeah. and I, I was I had the honour of being asked to write the introduction and I said oh I said you know my thing I'll only do it if I like the work I'll come down and look and I didn't know whether I was going to like it and I just <laughs> well you know what I think about the yeah, work yeah, yeah. It, was, it was intriguing because at first I thought this is amazing there's something amazing about this but is it is there any depth yeah and yeah, then I started yeah. investigating and thinking and looking and I be, as you know I began to see lots and lots of different layers of meaning and luckily they were ones you agreed with were there but yeah. I love the kind of art I love in like old masters like I wrote a piece on Botticelli where I kind of decoded this painting in the National Gallery um, reading it on lots of different levels and so I love that kind of what we call hermeneutic painting which is filled with secrets that you that the that the viewer has to gradually un, unravel, and that, that's that's my intention too, like yeah. to give the viewer the chance to actually pick engage, what, with yeah, them. engage with them, pick whatever you see that yeah. connects with you, take it because most often anyone, I mean, most often you go to art galleries and museums, someone could put a, a red line on a canvas, and expect you to understand that, yeah, and um, most most often, and that's what. Mm, People do. They yeah. leave. They leave the place and they be like, "What's that? <laughs> I don't get that." Yeah, yeah. my so, child could have done that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. So what I decided to do, I mean, like I explained earlier, to put things symbols into my work, yeah, so that people will leave and go like, oh, "That reminds me of this." Mm. Or that reminds it me. It resonates of that. poetically. Yeah, and then it starts conversation too. Yeah. So that what is this kind of thing kicks in, mm. and then the more they start questioning what that image is about the more they find something yeah. Yeah. in there that will actually calm them down a little bit, like for them yeah. to understand that, look, this guy is not creating what yes. we were expecting, but he has created something that absolutely have connection with a lot of things. And, um, yeah. and one of the other interesting things that I'm coaching that surprised me was, I think, I don't know whose idea it was, but Jan David's um, Victoria, they, they partnered with Aspinalls of London the sort of luxury um, designer, and they, they made silk scarves and handkerchiefs of your paintings. It was an amazing opportunity. Happen? It was an amazing opportunity. So they um, reach out to the gallery. Um, they reached out to you to the gallery, and then um, yeah, because they saw it in the window, thought that would make an amazing yeah. like uh, shawl. Or, yeah, it or, was. It was an. Um, it, it is still. I mean, it's one yeah. of the most amazing opportunities yeah. that the gallery and. Aspinall yeah. of London actually one of the so it's kind of co-branded with luxury yeah. and, and jaded and your paintings yeah which was... initially I was I mean I'm always like that I always have to pause a little bit and yeah. myself I was more sort of worried that I may 
end up into, I may fall into the fashion. Yeah, yeah, just becoming the, a kind of um, flavor of the month and yeah, then disappear. Yeah, and then disappear. Yeah. Um, I was a bit but, more like. But kind of since then, you've, you've had shows in Miami. Yeah. We've uh, done a um, solo show in Miami, yeah. which was sold out. Yeah. Um, I was in Turkey, which went very well. That's interesting. Um, so personally, um, the year 2020, 2021 yeah. um, was an amazing year. Your life has changed. Well, artistically, really, it? it changed everything sort of like. Absolutely. It, it, those two years elevated my status. Like, yeah. If I may say so. It, from an underground painter, um, wandering around London carrying yeah. canvases from <laughs> east to and tins of beer to yeah, have conversations exactly. with dropouts from from East London to South London. Yeah, um, going into some what I call dodgy galleries, yeah. which they may not see themselves as dodgy, but yeah. uh, one of these galleries that you work with and. Um, you just don't, yeah. there's no confidence in you. And yeah. um, they want you to help them yeah. rather than they helping you. Yeah. Um, I went through all those things and um, I decided I don't want to work with a gallery. Yeah. And um, for me, working with JD Mala has been an eye opener. He he strikes me, and him and Victoria, I think, uh, uh, they, they're on the kind, I would say that they're best best example of com- a commercial yeah. contemporary gallery. Yeah. So they're, they're producing quality work. But it's it's really beautiful. It's always stunning what's in their windows. They, they know, they know how doing. to choose yeah. their artists. They know what they're doing, and yeah. I like the fact that you work with a gallery that doesn't actually um, promote yourself. Yeah, yeah. And they don't <laughs> mind the promotion, and of course, being being a, being a kind of program director of an MA in art business, where my students want to learn about that, we don't see that as a bad thing because we think the more art there is, and the more good art there is out there for people. I think they know uh, art. The they, they understand art. Victoria and um, Jean David. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think they understand. And they understand that the artists have a different way of operating. Yeah. The artist is very hard to control. Yeah. Some galleries do. Yeah. They will before. If yeah. I was with any other gallery, before I come in here to sit down with you, they probably have given me a list of things I need to read from. Yeah. So everything is all They're set up. They're controlling you. Yeah. Right? yeah. Everything is all set up. Everything yeah. is basically, um, you will be told what to ask and what not to, to ask the guy. Um, the artist, too, will be told what to say and what not to say. Yeah. So by working with them also actually helped me to understand that their style of operating is totally yeah. different. They do not put any restrictions on yes. the artist because at the end of the day, the artist, what they are interested in is the artwork yes. and what the artist is doing, yeah. not what he goes out. Obviously, I'm not going to go out and have a fight on the street. I'm not stupid. I'm a grown-up man. Yeah. So there are certain things I won't do, but at the same time, they won't restrict you from doing what mm. you want to do outside your yeah. artistic uh, premise or whatever they call it. Yeah. And then, and then most recently, almost a symbol of how your rise, if, almost like a rise to fame. You're, you're, you're in Oxford Circus. Like It looks like the old Piccadilly Circus lights with I, all your portrait images flashing on the sides of that store. It's amazing. I will, I will credit um, yeah. J.D. Mallard um yeah. for actually <laughs> plugging an artist from nowhere. Yeah. And um, um I won't say from nowhere, I've been operating underground yeah. for a very long yeah. time. I know. Um but I will credit them for yeah. actually helping me. Yeah. Um it's it's there are a lot of artists out there who would love to be in my mm-hmm. position. Yeah. All I'll say to them is it's not easy being in my no, position. No, there's a lot um, there is all like in anyone's it's, life there's a lot of luck. But you make your luck by working hard. It is a very hard um since I started um 
working uh, I mean working with big gallery yeah also there is a pressure on me sure absolutely because you've got to produce work they say yeah. you've got this show coming up I have up. to produce authentic yeah. and um, genuine um, yeah genuine works and yeah. um if if it wasn't I mean back in the days I do anything I could just splatter paint on canvas and sure. I, I just put it up on um what's uh, what's their name's uh, website and um, yeah or uh, yeah, yeah and then get them to sell it and somebody will buy it yeah. without any I don't care I'll yeah. be like oh, let yeah. me I got some loose paint here let me just splatter I, I remember once actually you told me that you kind of as an artist when you're working online without an intermediary without a gallery mm-hmm. like Jam TV you said that it seems to work better the more expensive you make your work people take yes. it seriously we'll yeah. pay that money I That's always say to up and coming artists that if you want collectors to take it serious then do not sell any artwork below thousand pounds that's interesting any artist out there who wants to be taken serious yeah. who wants to be um, a serious artist and not a joke yeah. shouldn't sell artwork below thousand pounds what it creates is any hour, anyone who buy artwork for like say hundred pounds, two hundred pounds, the likelihood of that artwork ended up in a skip is very, very high. <laughs> <laughs> They'll throw it away when they're leaving or moving on. Decoration. Yeah, because that money doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Whereas they're not gonna throw it away if it costs them a grand. Yeah. If you somebody spent two thousand pounds on the yeah. artwork, before they put it in the bin, they will have to look at it and mm. start questioning themselves. That's interesting. Why would you spend that much money and then put it in the skip? <laughs> so it's so when I started, I decided that I don't want to be mm. part of this five hundred pounds, fifty pound artist. Because yeah. if you go, if you make that area your comfort zone, yeah. you will never rise. It's like it's like alcoholic who sleeps outside. Mm. The moment they make them, they make themselves, they make that place a comfort zone. That's it. They're yeah. not gonna move anywhere. Sure. They will be rough sleeper all their life. Yeah. But the moment you you, you kind of decide to move up. You may not sell a lot, but you actually sell. Yeah. I mean, what I noticed was when I started selling artwork for ten thousand pounds, fifteen thousand pounds, I knew straight away that on that place, it only one or two people will come in and that would find it. Yeah. And then I realized that when things started selling, like mm. five thousand going, yeah. eight thousand going, yeah. I saw a lot of people. Yeah, and John David says that there's like a waiting list for yeah. work now, which is quite remarkable. A lot of people come yeah. in and check my work. So yeah. when I joined John David, and then I told them, look, we cannot sell our work for cheap because yeah. I do not. Yeah. And they were like, hey, you just work. We know, we know what we're doing. So, yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. I used to sell out for this and that. They were like, just leave everything with us. Yeah. We know. We understand. So, to be fair, they, I mean, everything, whatever I have achieved within that short um, mm. period is all through them. Um, so they've been very hard, supportive. Of yeah, their hard work and um, that's, that's, their support. And what about the future? Because I'm aware that we're coming to the end of this we, podcast now. Well, are you, are you going to carry on painting in a similar manner or can't you predict or prophesy how you might change? <laughs> I may change, but I've made a conscious decision not to paint people. I was actually... Because you did, you made some sculptures which were amazing, yeah. really beautiful. I, I'm, 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 I mean, sculptures gonna be around this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, I don't know if I have to disclose it, but I'll leave it here. Um, I was gonna disclose what I have, uh, but we have plans to do a show in America. Yeah. Um, but we haven't actually okay. set dates, so I'm not. I don't wanna. But we have. We took an east or west coast. It will be in east coast, New York. Yeah. But we haven't actually. Okay. Um, 
for any dates on it. So I don't want to. Is this with Jandavid? Yes. So it'd be like a pop up. Yeah. Pop up show. But in London, um, I'm working on sculptures, Mm. which will be um, part of the Mayfair. Sculpture Trail or Art Trail or whatever wow, they call that'd it. that'd be great. So if you are in London, if anybody is in London... Yeah. Um, are they um, going to be in public, outdoors? Yeah, public Fantastic. Art. So that will be... And what um, materials are you working with? It, it will be um, um, bronze um, 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 sculptures. Wow, which, um, can't wait. Bronze sculptures, which we will probably be one or two to dot around um, mm. Mayfair area. But yeah. uh, there are also... Um, Small, um, size about 60 centimeters size yeah. that will be, um, been selling in the gallery, yeah. yeah. Be, uh, That's but in London this year, apart from the sculptures, um, mm. I'm only working towards um, mm. uh, solo show in um, New York. Excellent. Well, Kojo, thank you very much for agreeing to be my thank you. dear guest today. It's been a fantastic discussion, and uh, I really encourage any of the listeners to. Um, to go and look at Kojo's work. If you're in London, I don't know how long the flannels display the flannels will be on. The flannels will end on Sunday. It's ending this Sunday. Oh, this probably won't be, that'll be gone in that but, case. But I mean, keep there, an eye out for for Kojo Martho. <laughs> there is um, a public um, sort of um, display on Grape Street down here. That's right, it's in Grape Street. Uh, Grape yes. Street, um, in front of the building, uh, yeah. Charles Doyle's building. Yeah, um, the Charles Doyle's building um, in Grape Street. Yeah, and if you peep through, you could also see um, hmm. the actual um, artwork, which is about 200 centimeters by 200 hmm. in the building. And yeah. they've, they've taken a photo and they've used it as a screen by the window as well. Fantastic. So that's anyone who wants to see yep. and, and, and hopefully it won't be long before I can tell people he's got a couple of works in Tate Modern <laughs> <laughs> or Pompidou or Yeah, Mama. we're working on that MoMA and all yeah, these places. I'm sure that I don't think it's going to be long obviously. It's not going to be long at all. Yeah. It's not going to be long. <laughs> isn't it interesting how it's the, the collectors and the market that seem to lead the way before the museums get interested. It's, it, it, it's always like that because <laughs> they are the ones who have to lift everybody up and then museums pay attention to. It's interesting, isn't it? A lot of people would think it would be the other way around. I always say to my students, actually, it's the kind of collectors and dealers and artists themselves that create this and then the museums sit up and take notice. Collectors always are the main people who uplift artists and they put the artists on the pedestal because they collect their work. And Absolutely. Um, they are the people who, with their interest yeah. and enthusiasm, the yeah. artists will get somewhere. And they, we're coming back to the beginning of our conversation, Damien Hurst and Tracy and yeah. it's Charles Sarchi, yeah. you know, private collector. Yeah. And then, and as I understand it, Damien Hurst was offering works to Nicholas Roach and Tate, which he was refusing in the 90s. And yeah. then suddenly... Yeah, and collect, collectors are the main of the main, um, I would say, spine of the, um, the dynamic. Yeah, of yeah. the artists. And if they are interested in you, they will build yeah. you up. Absolutely. If they're not interested in you, then you have to. They'll abandon you. Yeah. So let's so, let's hope they keep being we, interested. We need the galleries, <laughs> but we need the, um, <laughs> the collectors too. So these two have to go hand in hand. They are okay. the main people that uplift the artists and put artists on their pedestal. Okay, Um, so thank you very much again, Kojo, and um, I hope our listeners have enjoyed listening to this conversation with Kojo Martha.